Welcome back to our next episode of Up Next for Your Private Business. With me here today, Henry Aslanian, the former PwC crypto leader and partner, and the former chairman of the FinTech Association of Hong Kong and adjunct professor at the University of Hong Kong, where he teaches the first FinTech university courses globally. Amongst many other achievements, Henry is today a very prominent TED talker and one of the, I think, brightest experts for crypto in the world. Welcome, Henry. Thank you very much, Peter. Thanks for having me. And thanks for putting crypto on the agenda. That's very nice and hopefully it could be very useful. I'll just make one thing. You know, I always say that whoever tells you they're a crypto expert, you got to run away. You know, I spent 24-7 of my time in the space and I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen one month from now because the crypto industry moves so quickly. But thanks again for a nice welcome. <laughs> this is fantastic, Henry, having you here with us today. And I think this is why you are here. Today, we want to demystify a little bit what crypto really is. And there are so many rumors outside. There are so many ideas. Some might be right, some might be wrong. So let's start with a simple question then. When thinking about crypto, there's a lot of confusion about blockchain, distributed ledgers, cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and others and NFTs. How would you demystify the underlying technology? Can you explain a little bit what the difference of these technologies is and what they're good for? Absolutely, Peter. I know it sounds very, very confusing, you know, when we talk about digital assets, cryptocurrencies, but I think there's a couple of ways of looking at it. First of all, it's important to understand that when we talk about crypto assets, as you mentioned, Peter, there's a lot of different subcategories that come in it. Yes, blockchain is the underlying technology, but it's kind of interlinked. So let me simplify it. The first vertical that we have in the broader crypto space is what we call cryptocurrencies. Many of them like Bitcoin, for example, where people use cryptocurrencies as a store of value, as a medium of exchange, as a unit of account. And right now there's about 19,000 different types of crypto assets in the market. The majority of them are actually cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. The second category we have are what we call stable coins, which are digital currencies that are pegged one-to-one -to, -one to fiat money. Today, Peter, if I send you a Bitcoin, You'll be very happy, but you don't know what the price of that Bitcoin will be a week, a month, a year from now. Whereas if I send you a stable coin, it's $1 today, it's going to be $1 next week and next month. And this has a lot of applications. For example, when a lot of the private businesses you mentioned want to send money cross-border. I think many of the people listening to this who send money around the world know how complicated and annoying it is to do cross-border payments. I'm not even talking about the fees and the embedded fees and the hidden fees. Whereas with stable coins, these things happen very easily. And there's various different other kinds of verticals. So we talk about cryptocurrencies, we talk about stable coins. There are what we call utility tokens, which are a different type of crypto assets that are often used to access a platform. For example, if you want to use Ethereum, which is the second biggest crypto asset out there, which is a utility token, every time you want to use the Ethereum blockchain, I'll talk about that in a second, you need to use the Ethereum token. So it's really used as a kind of a mechanism to be able to use some of these tokens. And there's various different types of other crypto assets we see in the market from central bank digital currencies issued by central bank to NFTs to security tokens is quite a lot. What's important, Peter, is that when you talk about blockchain, at the core of it, all these different technologies you're seeing, all the different crypto assets in the market, the vast majority of them use what we call blockchain technology, which was really the innovation that was brought forward in 2008 when Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he, she, or they are, actually came up with this innovation of Bitcoin and gave rise to the idea of blockchains. 
there are some digital assets that are not blockchains, but there are different kinds of what we call distributed ledger technology. There's other tokens I use it, but just to be academically correct, but 95% of them use blockchain technology. Hopefully that's a quick introduction to the exciting world of digital assets. Thanks, Henry. It still sounds a little bit confusing to many of our listeners, most likely. So what was the fundamental idea of blockchain? What was the purpose that it was built for? Absolutely. And it's a very important question because if you think about it, the big innovation that Bitcoin brought forward in 2008 was that for the first time, you could send value from one person to another without using any intermediary. Because if you think about it today, money is digital, right? But if I send you, Peter, for example, a bank transfer, I'm using the banks as an intermediary. If I'm sending you a PayPal transaction, I'm using these intermediaries. If I send you money remittance, I'm using one of the big remittance providers in the market. And what is exciting about Bitcoin is for the first time, allow two people to send value to each other without using any kind of intermediary. And the way they achieve this is by using blockchain technology. We could talk about that if you want as well. That is the big innovation. For sure, blockchain technology is a Nobel Prize in economics. The only problem with receiving a Nobel Prize is that a Nobel Committee only gives you a Nobel Prize if you're alive. And because we don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is, he could not receive that Nobel Prize, unfortunately, from that perspective. But that is the big innovation that it provided. And this really opened up a full universe now of developments that we have seen since 2008 in the last 13 years. So sending value from one person via the internet to another personal organization seems to be a very good idea. Today, do you see companies using this more often and with greater confidence into the intra-company cross-border transactions? What is the current trend that you see with regard to the use of blockchain in a commercial context? Yes. And, you know, when people think about crypto assets, a lot of people think about speculations, funds that are trading Bitcoin and other assets. And of course, there's a whole world of that. But what's really interesting is how businesses can actually start using crypto assets or digital assets as part of their day-to-day -day activities. Let me give you a very simple example. If today you're a group in Germany and you're doing business with a group in Malaysia and a group in Latin America, for example, if you're trying to send payments, I'm sure as many of the listeners know, First of all, it takes a couple of days. There's, like I mentioned earlier, the hidden fees, explicit fees. And let's not even talk about the user experience of the bank using the SWIFT network, which frankly hasn't evolved for the last 20, 30 years. And that's, by the way, is if the payment makes it true, I think as many of us know, levels of false positives and the issues that have come up in the system now have made it actually even sending wire from one German bank to a bank in Malaysia or one in Panama is absolutely a headache on that perspective. That's one. And this is one why we're seeing actually a lot of organizations right now where they're dealing with intro-group companies within the same group, for example, or companies that trust each other. Let's say a family business in Germany who has been doing business with the same family business in Singapore, for example, for two generations, they trust each other. And if maybe they can start using stable coins, US dollar stable coins, where they can bypass a lot of these fees and the money can arrive immediately on the spot, that's one example where there's a lot of benefits. A second area where I've been seeing a lot of the private businesses use this is when it comes to treasury management. Today, look at a country like Germany or Switzerland or many other European countries. If you leave your money in the bank, you get pretty much zero interest. And I'm not even talking about the cases where you're getting negative interest rate. The beauty right now in digital assets, it's very easy using regulated players, using proper risk management to get anywhere from four to six, seven percent on US dollar stable coins. That means what you're holding is actually US dollars and you're able to get a yield of four, five, six percent on it, and you can convert that to fiat anytime you want. 
You know, you can use stable coins that are regulated like USDC, for example, and others that provide this. So there's very practical implications of this that people, businesses can use. That's super interesting that there are different types of digital assets, as you said. There are Bitcoin, there are stable coin, there are these new things called NFTs. We're coming to that in a second. But this means so the usage in a business context will most likely over time rather increase and decrease by listening what you are saying, because the value that country to country, company to company transaction and the ease of use might be a driver for future usage of stablecoin or other cryptocurrency or digital asset. Is this correct? Is this your outlook, your correct. perspective going forward? Because there's this in contrast to old economists or old investors like Berkshire Hathaway and saying there's has no value in it and so on. There's so much opinionated voice out there in the market so that our listeners might be really confused. What is the real future? And from my perspective, so technology has always involved and an invention has never been turned backwards. So I personally see that also technology will finally succeed. The question is how and with or without more regulation, because in the past there was also some at least concerns for misusage and so on. But before we go into this, what is your outlook from a technology perspective on digital assets? And yep. what is your perspective on regulation? Is it good or is it bad? The reality is the usage of digital assets is increasing by the day. To put things in perspective, Peter, only five years ago, we had less than 5 million people with an account on a crypto exchange. Now, there's about 300 million people with an account on a crypto exchange. And I'm convinced over the next five years, we're going to hear it's a billion users of digital assets. If you're any family business today, you're any business today, you need to have a strategy on digital assets. Whether you're going to accept it as payment, whether you're going to use it as part of your treasury, whether it's going to affect your existing businesses, these are all things that people need to look at from that perspective. Regulations are in crypto, by the way. Actually, pretty much every jurisdiction now has some kinds of regulations on crypto. From a regulatory perspective, there's quite a lot of clarity, not on the cutting edge areas like NFTs or DeFi. Yes, there's areas where there's still not proper clarity. Generally speaking, now there's pretty good crypto clarity on that perspective, which should give comfort to a lot of the users. One last thing on this one point, Peter, as well, there's a generational issue. What I tell, let's say, a lot of families, a lot of family businesses, when you ask the patriarch, he tell me, no, Henry, I want an asset that I can touch. I want to see cash flows. I need to touch my real estate. I need to touch my assets. I mean, it's great, but you know, it's a generational issue here as well. I always tell people is if you don't believe in digital assets, next dinner you have, next Easter, Christmas dinner, summer party, ask the youngest member in your family what he or she thinks about digital assets. And you may be surprised of their answer. But what I hear is, so it's good that regulation will come because then it gets out of the gray zone and will increase trust in the technology, most likely trust also in investing in the technology or in cryptocurrency and also more trust in the reliability of digital assets. And let's move also into the new world of what's just around the horizon here. It's the metaverse. With the internet, many of the traditional businesses couldn't imagine that business models in the digital virtual space can become so big. And this is most likely why Amazon has been ignored in the beginning. Microsoft, Alphabet, of those companies are global leaders in technology with the highest global market valuation. And I think it's clear that these type of companies on technology and in the internet can create real value. I think this is broadly accepted. But now comes the next layer. 
Now comes the next move into this thing called metaverse, which means that we can move with our own avatars into a virtual reality like in science fiction, go virtually on Times Square, buy some stuff virtually. And in this context, we need digital assets, we need blockchain, we need NFTs. Can you bring this a little bit into perspective? So how the metaverse, the idea of living and making business in a more digital world in the future need more crypto, need more blockchain. Is this true? Is this your prediction going forward? Will it become the next booster for this technology? The short answer is 100%. What I mean by that is in the same way we are right now when it comes to metaverse, and I'll talk about Web3, Web3.0, is exactly where e-commerce was in the 1990s, late 1990s. I'm sure many of your listeners as well remember there was an era where we used to have like e-commerce that was coming up, which now obviously is just pure business, right? It's important to understand we need to take a step back. What's really driving the metaverse is actually initially when the internet was created, we had something called Web 1.0, which was, you know, I used to go to America Online. It was Netscape. It was very basic internet, which is what I would get in physical world. I would get it basically online. Then we move to Web 2.0, which is basically the large platforms you just mentioned, the Amazons, Googles of this world, where they really uh, allowed us to interact with the internet, but it's dominated by large centralized players. This is Web 2.0, which is what we're in right now. Where we are going, and this is going to happen again during our lifetime, we're moving to Web 3.0, which is an internet that is completely decentralized, that people own their data and that you're able to interact in these various metaverses, not only on the website, but really into having more immersive experiences. And why this is happening for a couple of reasons. One is this move towards Web 3.0, which is as a user, you're able to own your data and control it. A very good example myself, I have, as many of your listeners may know, over half a million followers on LinkedIn. For the last five years, I've been creating content. My content now is in French, Arabic, Chinese, Spanish, all these different languages. But today, YouTube doesn't want me. LinkedIn doesn't want me. Twitter doesn't want me. They can block me. So I don't own my content. I produce this content, but I don't own it. What's going to happen in the Web3 ecosystem is you will be able to use it and not only own it, but also make money out of it. For example, Peter, if you go browse a certain website, let's say a Wikipedia, why are you not being compensated for that time? And this is what's something you're going to be able to do over the next couple of years. But this arouses with the metaverse, which is metaverse is obviously these virtual communities that people can interact. We've had metaverses for a long time. There's been games like Second Life where people can go and interact. And by the way, video games are a very good example. Many of your listeners, their kids may be playing Call of Duty, League of Legends, World of Warcraft, which are metaverses on their own. People make entire livings playing some and building businesses within these video game ecosystems. So now what's happening, we're moving to metaverse ecosystems. There's many of them right now, sandbox, decentralized and the likes, where you actually buy a digital virtual piece of land where you can set up your virtual business and people can actually go interact, have this virtual experiences, immersive experiences. Again, our platforms are blockchain-based, where actually it's in the web ecosystem, users control their activity. And what's making this possible is innovations like NFTs, non-fungible tokens, where for the first time I'm able to mathematically prove that a certain asset is actually unique. It happens because of decentralized finance, which is I'm able to have these financial interactions without any centralized intermediaries. And it's a combination of all this together that's making this whole metaverse push. And it's really not a one plus one equal two relationship. It's a one plus one equal three relationship, which all these technologies coming together are giving us metaverse ecosystems. The metaverse is here to stay. It's very clunky today. It's not fun. The user experience is terrible. There's not much you can do. In the same way, there was not much you could do with the internet in the early days. At the same way, the video games were terrible at the start. All of this will change over the next 20 years. And we're going to look back at some of the metaverses we have today in 10, 15 years and say, my God, they were terrible. 
in the same way that I would look at Atari games and see how come these Pong games were terrible or the first Nintendo games were terrible. I'm going to look back at it, but this is here to stay. And it's going to change not only a business as we know it, but a society and how we interact with people as well. This is a fantastic outlook going forward because this means there will be a new world based on a new technology where the dominant market players are not determined yet. This means there is opportunities out there to change the game. And if we look at when Internet 2.0 started, all the big companies in the world today did not even exist. And this means there is a lot of potential for entrepreneurs, for startups, but also for established family business. If you understand what it is, if you understand which risks, opportunities are related with the technology and pioneering stuff like blockchain, crypto, digital assets, and puts this into a new customer experience with a new kind of value creation, then there is a huge opportunity. But for many of our listeners, they are still based in one country. And what entrepreneurs need is a predictable environment from a regulatory perspective. So what is your current observation when it comes to regulatory? And is there any converting trends or will every single country do whatever they want so that entrepreneurs have the difficult times to navigate through the jungle of current and future crypto or blockchain regulation? What is your outlook? I think from a regulatory perspective, we're going to see increasing levels of regulatory clarity for sure. To put things in perspective today, according to Cambridge University, there's only less than 5% of regulators who do not have a team working on crypto. That means 95% of them have teams working on crypto. And I sit personally on many advisory boards of many regulators from Hong Kong to Dubai. I can tell you the average regulator that I speak with is way more knowledgeable than the average financial services professional. I would even argue regulators are not getting the credit they deserve for all the great work they've been doing in this space. So I think from a regulatory perspective, there will be more clarity. Frankly, if you're running a family business today and you're not getting into crypto because you're afraid of regulatory concerns, tax concerns, frankly, that's not good. I mean, you're being stopped for the wrong reasons. This is like not wanting to get involved in the internet because somebody could hack your Gmail, you know, your email account, whatever, right? I think family businesses have a comparative advantage over other types of businesses. You know, I find in many cases, the decisions can be taken quicker. Often there's a still an entrepreneurial mindset in the business and there's a bit more nimbler attitude and frankly, it's that entrepreneur DNA that made the business that often allows them to be nimble and agile and embraces new technologies to be able to actually, frankly, innovate and make more money. And I have many episodes on this on my show, on my podcast, on my videos, where what I see the enterprises they're having, especially family businesses who are succeeding, are the ones where we not only we encourage innovation, we reward people who fail as well. I love people who try something and they fail as leaders. We need to encourage those people and actually give them the support. Say, you know what? You tried, you failed. It's life, but here you go, you're rewarded for it. Unlike just rewarding the person who has a good track record, never taken any risk and stayed in his lane because those are the individuals who may affect your business negatively down the line from that perspective. So I'm very bullish on family businesses. I think this is a great opportunity. You may like crypto, you may not like it. You may love digital assets, you may not like it, but at least you have the moral and intellectual duty to at least understand it and have a strategy for it for your shareholders if you're a public company or widely owned company or for, frankly, your family and your kids, if it's a private family business to you own. What a fantastic and very encouraging outlook, Henry. And I fully agree, family business has a competitive advantage. They tend to be more entrepreneurial with faster decision-making, very agile, pioneering new things. And I hope that they will be on the forefront of pioneering also that technology and opportunities behind blockchain, crypto, metaverse, and the like. 
And on that happy note, I would like to thank you for helping us to demystify the world of crypto and digital assets. And I hope that our listeners had a fantastic podcast with you today. Thanks so much, Henry, for joining us today and all good luck. Thanks for having me. And for everyone here listening to us, have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much. Copyright 2022 PWC. All rights reserved. PWC refers to the PWC network and or one or more of its member firms, each of which is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com forward slash structure for further details. This content is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.